1965, and there was a book, and this song was in there. Again, no author mentioned, but it's a song that was called Go Tell It on the Mountain. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. If you'd let me pull from that phrase, uh, just at least the first part, I want to preach today simply go and tell it. Go and tell it. There's a lot of commandments in the Word of God. Commandments to do, commandments not to do. You've got the Ten Commandments. The first, thou shall have no other God before me. The second, don't make any carved image, any likeness. Don't make an idol. The third one, don't take the name of your Lord God in vain. The fourth one, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The fifth, of honor your father and mother. The sixth, of you shall not murder. The seventh, you shall not commit adultery. The eighth, you shall not steal. The ninth, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And the tenth, you shall not covet your neighbor's house or any of his things. If you're southern, it goes like this. Number one, just one God. Number two, don't let anything come between your God, not your bass boat, not your pickup truck, not your golf carts, not even your kids and your wife. The third is don't say anything bad about God. Don't use his name in a bad way. The fourth, Sunday is the Lord's day. It's not your day. Saturday's your day. The fifth, always be good to your mama and your daddy. The sixth, don't kill no one, even if they need it. Just leave it up to God. Number seven, don't fool around with another fellow's gal or another gal's fella. Don't take anything that's yours. Number nine, don't lie. Don't talk bad about people. Remember what your grandma used to say. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. And the tenth, don't be eyeballing anything that belongs to your neighbor or anyone else. It's that plain and simple. There's a lot of commandments in the Word of God, and those commandments are there to be followed. Those commandments are there to... Uh, uh, be seen, but there is one commandment that came from Jesus that I've called the impossible commandment. If you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 1 is where we'll start, Mark chapter 1 verse 40, and then we'll go back up and kind of look at the whole chapter here in just a moment, but uh, you, you begin to look at, at Mark chapter 1. It's the beginning of the way that Mark portrays the story of Jesus's time here on earth and Mark tends to just jump right into the middle of it but it says in Mark chapter 1 verse 40 that a leper came beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him if thou will you could make me clean Jesus he's moved with compassion I'm paraphrasing a little bit he's moved with compassion and he stretches forth his hand and he touches him and he said unto him I will be thou clean soon as Jesus speaks, the leprosy departs from him and he's cleansed and Jesus charged him straightway and sent him away and he said, and here's this kind of impossible commandment if you will, he said unto him, see that you say nothing to any man but go your way, show yourself to the priest and offer for cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto him. And before I get carried away in that, let's just kind of see the power of Jesus Christ. Watch how Mark just jumps into uh, uh, what Jesus was doing. In those days, he comes. He was baptized of John the Baptist in the Jordan River. When he comes out of the water, the Bible says the heavens opened and he saw the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. The voice comes from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. For 40 days, Jesus goes into the wilderness and he's tempted 
fighting Satan and he's there. The angels minister. John is now in prison. Jesus comes to Galilee and he's preaching the kingdom of God. He says the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye. Believe the gospel. Verse 16 of John, or of, rather 16, verse 16 of Mark 1. He walks by the Sea of Galilee. He sees Andrew and Simon, his, uh, the, his brother. They're fishing and he says unto them, if you'll come after me, I'll make you fishers of men. And they immediately put down the nets and they follow him. A little bit further, he finds James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. They're also fishermen. And he says basically the same thing to them as well. And they leave and they follow. He goes to Capernaum. He enters into the synagogue. Jesus does. And his disciples and he's teaching, they're astonished at his doctrine. They, he, he teaches as one not just uh, expounding the doctrine, not one just teaching, but it says that he taught as one that had authority. And that's an important point. We'll come back to it a little bit later. While Jesus is preaching and taking that authority, there's a man in the church, a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cries out saying, let us alone. What do we have to do with thee, O Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to rebuke us? Have you come to destroy us? And, and Jesus rebukes him and says, just hold your peace. And that spirit tears at him and comes out of him. And they're amazed. They look at each other around saying, who has the authority? Who has the power? Who can do this that commands the unclean spirits? And they obey him. And instantly, everybody starts to hear about Jesus. They leave, they go to Simon and Andrew, James and John's there. Simon's uh, wife's mother is laying sick with fever. They tell uh, Jesus of him, of her, and Jesus walks in, takes her by the hand, lifts her up. The fever leaves. It's miracle after miracle after miracle. When the sun is going down, the Bible says in verse 32, they bring unto him all that were diseased, all those uh, possessed with devils. All the city, it says, was gathered at the door. He healed them of various diseases. He cast out many devils, and they were there. He walks out. He leaves the next morning. He prays a little bit, and then he goes. Simon and those that were around follow him. Poor Jesus can't even find a moment's peace. He goes into the next town. He preaches in their synagogues, casts out devils there, and then we get to that place here where the leper comes and says, If you can, and Jesus says, I will. But it's that impossible commandment. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 4 is most likely the same story uh, told in Matthew's eyes when Jesus told him, said, see that you tell no man, but go your way. It's not the only time that Jesus says something like that. And, and again, I, I not to make light of the commandments of Jesus, and obviously there must have been something uh, going on as well, because it's one of those impossible commandments. Because the Bible tells us that he couldn't just keep it to himself. Matthew chapter 9 records a story of two blind men that followed Jesus. And they were crying saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus comes into the house. Those blind men come to him. And Jesus looks at him and says, do you believe that I am able to do this? You want me to heal you. You're asking me to have mercy. Do you believe I can? And their response is simple. Yes, we believe. He touches those blinded eyes and says to them, according to your faith, be it unto you. Their eyes were opened. And again, Jesus straightly charged them saying, see that no man knows it. 
And then, they mind as well as most of our kids do sometimes. Verse 30 says, don't tell anybody. Verse 31 says, but they, when they left, spread abroad as fame in all the country. It's just an impossible commandment. Or Matthew chapter 12 and verse 15. Jesus withdraws himself trying to get away, trying to get some time alone and the crowds the Bible says great multitudes followed him and he healed them all and he charged them don't make me known synagogue's ruler the Bible says that while he's talking and there came a ruler of the synagogue who said uh, you know, who said would you come and would you, would you heal my daughter she's sick and then while she's doing that someone comes and says ah your daughter she's already died don't trouble Jesus any further but Jesus heard it and Jesus says I will go anywhere don't don't be afraid just believe so Jesus Jairus Peter and James and John they go he takes that young lady who looks to be as dead as can be Jesus said she's just sleeping but Jesus takes her by the hand and pulls her up and says I say to thee arise and she arises and then that verse 43 of Mark chapter 5 and he charged them straightly tell nobody don't tell anyone I don't want anyone to know it or Mark chapter 7 the Bible says he departs and he's going through the coast of Tyre and Sidon comes into the Sea of Galilee in the midst of the coast of Decapolis and they bring to him one who is deaf and one who has an impediment in his speech and they want him to heal him and so he takes him aside, he puts his fingers in the man's ears, he spits, he touches his tongue he, uh, uh, looking to heaven, he says be opened and straightway the deaf ears are unloosed the string of his tongue was loose and he spoke plainly and this is interesting because he, again he says he charged them don't tell any man but the more he charged them, the more the great deal they published. They were beyond measure. They were astonished. They said, he's done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. He did it in the, with the blind men. He, he, he did it with the blind men that he spit and made a spittle and clay on the ground. And he put it in his eyes. And, and, and he, he, he told them the same thing. He said, don't tell anyone. It's one of those commandments that I'm not exactly sure why, I mean, why he said it. I guess if I had to really break it down, I would tell you that what Jesus was doing was knowing that his time was not yet and there was going to be a time that they would finally bring him and take him to uh, uh, Calvary's mountain. But uh, there were times in the, throughout the Gospels that they would uh, come and try to get Jesus and they would try to kill him and the Bible would specifically say his time was not yet come. And so... I'm sure that was part of it. Jesus had a work to do, and he knew everything he did, every miracle, every, uh, every prophetic, prophetic word, all of that was stirring up the, the, the religious leaders. And so I know that's probably why he said don't tell anybody, but I'll be honest, if he healed me of blindness and tells me not to say anything, that's going to be real hard. If he heals me of deaf ears and tells me not to talk about it, it's going to be really difficult if a withered hand uh, extends out through the healing power of Jesus and he says, don't tell anybody about it. It's just kind of hard. I love what it said there, and I, I, uh, I, we didn't finish it, and so I'm going to go, I'm going to tell you that the end of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story, we told you at Mark 1 what happened, but 
after Jesus said, don't tell anybody about it, Mark chapter 1 and verse 45 says this, but he went out, began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city but was without in the desert places and they came to him from every corner. Mark chapter 2 picks it up right there and again he entered into Capernaum and after some days it was noised abroad that he was in I've been thinking a lot about this. I tell you that that God put stuff on my mind, and that's what I tend to meditate on. I read the Word, and it always draws me back, no matter where I want to go. And the Bible says it was noised abroad straightway. Many entered, gathered in so much there was no room to receive him. They were around the door. He's preaching. You know the story. There came four men bearing one of palsy on a stretcher. They couldn't even get to the door, so they climbed up on the roof and began to take back the clay tiles and probably the thatch that was there, lowered him down. And we love to tell the story about how Jesus saw the faith of the four and said to the man that was sick of the palsy, son, your sins be forgiven thee, and then heals him. And we love to celebrate that, but the reason they had to go to the roof is because somebody was telling people what Jesus was doing, and it was noised abroad insomuch that wherever Jesus was, there was a crowd. So I've read through the book of Acts. And I've come to the conclusion. Now, if I said, what are the greatest commandments? I'd hope you would say, well, the first is love the Lord thy God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. I hope you would say the second is like unto the first, but the second is love your neighbor as yourself. And the Bible says upon those two commandments, hinge all as I begin to look through the book of Acts, as I begin to read it, I've come to the conclusion that there are two very important commandments concerning the church. Commandments that, that, that are as, as binding and as strong as love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And the first commandment for the church is this, you've got to receive the Holy you say, well, why is that? I'll tell you, because the book of Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, and you will receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Later on in the Word of God, it tells us that the Holy Ghost is that wisdom, and that the Holy Ghost will lead and guide you to all truth. I'm going to make a very polarizing statement, and I, I will stand firm on it. You cannot have a church without the Holy Ghost. If your church and your saints and your pastor and your preachers and your musician and those that are sitting on the pew, if they're not full of the Holy Ghost, then all you have is a gathering of people that come together. So I'm just going to help you out. I believe the book of Acts is the history of the church. It tells us how the church was formed and it tells us how the church ought to operate and it goes on. So I'm going to just tell you this, that the church has to have the Holy Ghost operating in it always that's the first commandment that's why I, I start with have you received the gift of the Holy Ghost without the Holy Ghost you have no power without the Holy Ghost you have no authority and the second he says you'll receive the Holy Ghost when or you receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you and then the second commandment is to be a witness and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem in Judea and Samaria 
and to the uttermost parts of the earth or even to the end of the earth. And we know that these disciples took that to heart because if you continue to read through the book of Acts, you're going to find a place where it says, are these the men that turned the world upside down? They didn't turn the world upside down because they always had perfect speech and knew how to craft an argument or a sermon. In fact, many of them would say, it's not I that, that's able to speak. I can't speak the way I want to, but it's the power of God at work within me. you got to have that Holy Ghost, and then you got to go tell it. Matthew chapter 28 starting in verse 16, says it this way, the disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus directed them. They saw him, they worshipped him, some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, this is very key, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age or to the end of the earth. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. After the book of Acts, chapter 2 closes. 3,000 have been saved. 3,000 have been added to the church. They're continuing in the apostles' doctrine. They're praying. They're, they're, they're doing all that. You get to Acts chapter 3 where Peter and John are walking into the, the, the temple and they see the lame man. He asks for money and they said, we don't have any money, but what I do have, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And the man rises and walks and he runs into the temple and people immediately begin to recognize this is the one that was lame. He's the one that, that we've never seen walked and look what's going on. And they, they go to mom and dad and they ask and mom and dad are a little nervous about all this new stuff and they, they feel like they're going to get kicked out of the synagogue if they start professing Christ and so they said you know what he's an adult our son's an adult go ask him whatever he says you know we weren't there and they they passed the buck and of course the person who's been lame from the time that they were born till till whatever age it was he begins to leap and dance and run and he's telling everybody hey Peter James, those ones that, remember those were the ones that were around that Jesus guy they are the ones that healed they're the ones that did it but Acts chapter 4 opens up and they brought Peter and James in, Peter and John and uh, they're, they're speaking and they're, they're coming, they're annoyed the Bible says uh, the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they're annoyed because they were preaching to the people and proclaiming that Jesus had resurrected and they bring him there they, they arrest him, they bring him to a trial and Anna and uh, Caiaphas and Alexander and John they're all of the high priest family they look at him and look at verse four, 7 of Acts chapter 4 Acts chapter 4 verse 7 when they put Peter and John in their midst they required or they inquired rather they inquired by what power or by what name or if you whatever version you read it may say by what authority did you do this how did you have the authority to lift that man up on ankles that were, were, were malformed. And how did you have the authority to heal him? Peter, being filled with the Holy Ghost, began to say, well, let me tell you about it. If we're being examined today of the good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let me tell you, and all the people of Israel, let me tell you the authority that we have. The authority 
is in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. But it's by the authority of Jesus that this man is standing before you well. This Jesus, he's the stone that was rejected by the builders. He's the cornerstone. And there is not salvation in any other name, for there is no other name under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. He says that's the authority that we have. Because... And, and, and I know it's not mentioned here, but I'm pretty confident somewhere in this defense, Peter would have probably brought them back uh, with his words to a mountaintop where Jesus said, all power in heaven and earth has been given unto me. And, in, and, and, and then I, I want you to go, and you're going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You're going to be filled with my power. You're going to be filled till it overflows, and I want you to be witnesses of me to this world. And so now they stand filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost because remember that's the first prerequisite for the church you got to be filled with the Holy Ghost it's that power, it's that authority it's that, that direction that God gives us, it's the wisdom that God gives us, it's God himself inside of you and I you've got to start with the Holy Ghost and then the second thing is you got to witness when they released Peter and John Acts chapter 4 and verse 24 they go to their friends they reported what happened in that trial, and they begin to pray. This is the beginning of the persecution that happens throughout the stories that, that are found in the book of Acts, especially of the Jews that had become Christians there in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. And they begin to pray. They said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth our father David, your servant, they're saying, Why do the Gentiles rage? Why do the people plot in vain? They're gathered together and they begin to talk about as they pray. They're talking about this persecution that comes. But verse 29 is what they ask. They said, Lord, would you look upon their threats? And you would think that their response of prayer would be, and would you protect us? And Lord, would you kind of blind them? And would you help them not to put us in jail when we preach the gospel? That's not what they prayed. Acts chapter 4 and verse 29. And now, Lord, Look upon their threats and grant to your servants that they can continue to speak your word with boldness. Of all the prayers that they could pray, that's the prayer they chose. That we could continue to preach the world, the word rather, with boldness. And that while, and, and watch, watch how it goes, that we would speak your word with boldness while you stretch your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed that prayer, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to continue to speak the word of God with boldness. I'm here today to preach a very simple message. It's, it's 11.01. I preach real quick. I don't know where you are, Sister Morgan. I can't see you. It's, it's been on my mind. I, I go to bed at night, and I think about it. I wake up in the morning, and I'm thinking about it. Am I doing what the apostles were doing? 
I've got the Holy Ghost. I've got that one down. I've remembered when I was filled, and I have made it a point in my life to continue to be refilled. Not that you lose it, but just, Lord, every day, fill me with your presence. But it's that second one that I struggle with a little bit more. Am I being a witness to my world, to Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the world? Am I being the one that said I am going to witness everywhere I can? Am I following the commandment? of the Lord to go and tell we uh, we'll do a little bit of it Tuesday we'll gather together and we'll tell our stories and we'll celebrate and we'll leave rejuvenated by the by hearing the stories of the Lord but I'm asking you is this the only place you tell your story or do you tell it in the world that I've been changed that I've been redeemed that I once was lost but now I'm found I had somebody today here in the church, one of our young people got to telling me that one of their teachers point blank asked him said, what's different about you that's your opportunity to tell your story because a world or a church or a religion without the infilling of the Holy Ghost is empty. A church that doesn't preach the glory of God, a church that doesn't walk in the Spirit, a church that doesn't push their saints to the infilling of the Holy Ghost is a church with no power, no story, nothing's changing. I've walked paths of this world long enough to realize they are desperate to hear the change. Go tell it on the mountain. If you've been saved, you have something that not everybody has. Because you, I mean, I've heard it when we put people down in the water of the bat, of, of our baptismal and I've watched them come up and they'll make statements like, I've never felt this clean. I've never felt this pure. I've never, I've never experienced a moment like this where the weight of sin is gone. You know what that tells me? There's a whole world out there that's carrying that weight and that sin and that shame and that guilt and that condemnation. And they're walking on, they can put a good smile on their face and they may even know a few worship songs, but they are still walking in that, 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 that bondage of sin. But yet you could tell them. Let me tell you about what happened when I went down in the water. Let me tell you what it meant to go down in the authority of Jesus' name, to be baptized in the name of Jesus, the only name given among men under heaven where we can, we must be saved. Let me tell you what it did for me. I know I've said it a lot. I know I've I, I, I probably overused this analogy, but how many of you have eaten at a restaurant simply because one of your friends told you about it? How many of you bought something simply because one of your friends told you about it? Can I tell you that if you'll do that for food, and for a fishing rod, or for a pair of shoes, or whatever it might be, if you'll lend your life to recommending things 
I've used realtors because someone recommended them to me. I've used car mechanics because somebody recommended them to me. But when's the last time you recommended Jesus? When's the last time you looked at someone and you said, you know, I know you're hurting and I, I know you're, you've got sickness. I know there's disease in your family. But can I tell you what God's done in my life? God's done in my family. I know the word of God and I, I, I'm not saying it's perfect, but I know it right now more than I ever have, frontwards and backwards and inside out. But the greatest thing you can ever do is not just simply quote scripture at people but to show them scripture it's one thing to say the Bible says you got to be repent of your sins and be baptized in Jesus name and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and that's biblical and it's scriptural and it's right there but it's far more to say let me tell you what happened when I repented of my sins when I was filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost when I was baptized with his spirit let me show you what it did in my life go tell it I wonder if we could stand today on this Sunday morning that Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 it, it, it propels me and you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you to be witnesses. That's the power. That's the authority that he's given you. That's the ability that he's invested in your life. To be witnesses. And I'm afraid that if we don't do that, we're breaking one of the crucial commandments that God has given the church. First, be filled with the Holy Ghost. Second, be witnesses to him. I wonder if we could begin to just close our eyes and lift our voices to him would you examine your life I hope you're filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost if not then I'm inviting you today this is that moment that you could you could fulfill that first commandment Lord fill me with your spirit God I want that power I want that authority in my life I want you to live within me but for those of you that are here that you've already experienced that incredible outpouring of his spirit that I'm asking I'm imploring I'm directing it's time for the Lord to grant us boldness. It's time for us to share the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he's done in our lives, and to be witnesses in this world in Jesus' name. I wonder if we could just begin together. Could we close out this Sunday morning saying, God, would you direct me? God, would you help me? God, would you push me into your presence? And would you let me be witnesses into my world that I might turn this world upside down, that I might noise.